0: Welcome to Nothing Ventured, a podcast exploring the stories that make the incredible world of tech and venture tick. Join me, Arish Shah, as I speak to the founders, investors and ecosystem operators trying to make a dent in the future. Hello and welcome to another episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. Today, I'm super excited to have with me Tatiana Mulry. Tatiana, or Tanya, is general partner and co-founder of Steamwork Ventures, an early-stage VC firm focused on companies working on connected solutions that improve health, wealth, and the climate. She is the author of Decide Like a Boss, which lays out the Steamwork system, a framework providing a clear process to implement decisions and get the results you're after. Tanya has spent close to 30 years in fintech, mobility, healthcare, and EdTech, and managed the initial product development of the tokenization infrastructure at MasterCard that keeps Apple Pay, Google Wallet, and Samsung Pay transactions safe. She was one of the few folk involved on the corporate strategy team as MasterCard prepared for the transition from a membership organization to a for-profit company, which led to their record-breaking IPO. Tanya, it's really great to have you here with me on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: I'm so excited to be here and really grateful that we stay connected in this crazy world. So I'm I'm happy we found each other on
0: Twitter. Amazing. Yeah, look. Ab- look at those coincidences. <laughs> Absolutely. Serendipity rules the world. So let's just kind of dive straight in. I- I'd love for you to talk us through the process that led to Mastercard's IPO back in May 2006. You're also at the forefront of their global mobile strategy product development just before the iPhone hit stores and-, and really transformed the way we live. How quickly were things changing back then, especially for an organization like Mastercard? How easy was it to stay you know, ahead of the game?
1: Well, it's so interesting because I started my career in investment banking for a few years. Years analyzing companies. And that plays into the sort of how I got to be in the room in the IPO. One of the Really interesting things that I did in my career was to make the decision to jump to MasterCard in 97. Now think about it, right? The, well, maybe some of your listeners don't remember all of this, but when I went to college, I didn't have an email. The web was just coming out, you know, in 95, I was on the trading floor when Netscape went public. Like this was a really interesting, high impact time with the internet coming up and e-commerce wasn't really a known quantity. Like we didn't know the potential at this time, right? So I just, thought this is a stable company. Investment banking was really rocky at that time. And I thought this would be awesome. I want to go make something. I want to go make a difference. Let's, let's take this career chance. Well, it was the right place at the right time because obviously things were just exploding in e-commerce. And I got to sit next to the people who are doing all the, all of the decision making around that. And I got to write all the rules for how our franchise should operate in this new environment. Right. So I really got that, that really deep understanding of how our system work. Every company is, you know, really built, every really great company is built on a system of processes and procedures and rules. And I got to be the one to document all of that, which was super cool. So over time, I started to morph my career. I would kind of like, I call it change surfing, right? When a new opportunity would come up, I found it fascinating and interesting. I would go for it. So I became involved in writing the release notes for our major systems updates, our authorization system. I began to be assigned projects for enterprise systems management. And then over time, you know, I got to be able to be involved in pricing decisions for the organization, which was super interesting to get involved at that level. And at a certain point, I think I started doing my first mobile website in 1999. It was an ATM locator. Sounds like a very boring thing, but we turned it into a huge moneymaker. I saw that Google was charging per click. And I said, hey, guys, why can't we charge for click for presenting ATMs where the banks make a fee turned into a $12 million business overnight. And I was kind of the gold star. Everybody was like, wait a minute, you can just pull $12 million out of our system for no reason. I'm like, yeah, because I know how this system works. And I'm looking, I'm scanning the market and trying to figure out like how do we add value? And that led me to be assigned to the, the strategy team, which was really fun. I get to work side by side with leading consulting firm to just document everything about our business, all kinds of management interviews, looking at interviewing our banks, you know, what did they need out of this transaction. I applied some of those learnings to, you know, volunteer to be the person to lead the global mobile strategy as well. So I was doing those two things in parallel. Also super pregnant with my third child. Like it was intense. I was definitely a high charger (laughs) in my career. And it was just fascinating. I loved flying around the world, talking about like, what were we going to do with these devices? I just saw it on the horizon. And everyone I talked to was a naysayer. The president of Europe, because he had just bought EuroPay and I was involved in that integration. He was in a management meeting was like, I don't know, 20 of us. And I'm presenting the strategy. And he's like, there's no way anyone's ever going to pay on their phone. And he's like clicking away on his BlackBerry right next to me, like super rude. (laughs) But nobody believed that this was going to happen. Except, you know, Sometimes people have that that sense of of what's possible, and I definitely feel like I was able to cultivate that. So going back to the IPO, yeah, we we just had to make some really huge decisions about the the structure of our company. It was we couldn't go IPO as a membership organization in the U.S. That's like a nonprofit, and that's that doesn't happen, right? It's, I'm not sure how that is in the rest of the world, but nonprofits don't go public. But we had to spin off. We knew we had to spin off a for profit company, but we also wanted to do it in a way that respected our values and what, how we wanted to show up in the world. And so the MasterCard Foundation was spun off, which has just been an incredible gift to the world in terms of looking at opportunity, economic opportunity all over and, and emerging economies. I mean, they just do fantastic work. I really am very excited and proud that that was part of the, the out, offshoot of our work. And at a certain point, we kicked out the consultants because it just got too sensitive to discuss some of the strategic issues that we knew we had to address. And, you know, there's a lot of things that I shouldn't say, but the the point of it was that we really, uh, you know, there were a handful of us, you know, 8 to 12 at any given meeting who really shepherded shepherded this down to the end. And right after the IPO, right as the IPO was kind of coming to a close, they said, well, we'd love for you to go run our corporate strategy and like lead the implementation of all this. Such a big change. You know everything about this. And I was like, hmm, I can't be in Miami because I'm literally giving birth that day. I don't know if you've seen this thing that I'm carrying around the office. So it was kind of an awkward career time for me, but you know, so but I was really excited and proud to be a part of that team and to pull off something just so monumental. It was it was really really fun and challenging. You know, just like it makes all the sensors in your brain go off. So
0: so there's so much that I could unpack there, but I'll, I'll try and keep it like limited. <laughs> uh, we we've had we've had a number number of kind of operators on the podcast in the past. And I think it's really incredible to me as someone who really hates structure, <laughs> as someone who really enjoys chaos yeah. and, and yes. the, the, the constant kind of, the constant theme that they throw out at me is that without the order, you can't have the chaos, right? So, so structuring processes and, and, and uh, operational plans and so on and so forth actually helps with the creativity rather than kind of uh, destroying that. And, and, and I guess that, you know, certainly at later stage businesses and obviously at a business Business size of MasterCard. That's that's really important. But one of the things that you also said there, which I think is really telling well two things actually is that you know first of all someone saying no one is going to pay 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 for anything on their phone obviously they've been proven relatively <laughs> wrong I'd, lo- I'd love to understand how you kind of convince them or how you led the the way in in convincing people of that and the second kind of quick point and I, I guess this is more of a, a thought than and a comment than anything else is that you know you talked about the non nonprofit membership kind of company that that couldn't be couldn't be taken public which yeah I mean like in the rest of the world well certainly here in the UK you know- nonprofit it's are not public companies; uh, they rely on the cha- on the charitable donations. But the the really interesting thing is again now we th- we we're thinking about or we're looking at the intersection of Web three and crypto with all of these various kind of buckets of stuff that is going on. And it just sparked this idea in my mind. Well, what if Web three and NFT and 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 crypto is actually the next generation of membership companies, stroke not not for profit that is actually a foundation foundation led in- initiative. I'm sure there's so so many things that are wrong with that thinking, but it is it, it just strikes. Me is there's so, so many opportunities that exist today that didn't exist then. But yeah, going back to that kind of original core, core question. How did you lead them away? How did you lead the way in, in, in getting people convinced that they were going to be paying for, for stuff on their phone whilst playing with their back BlackBerry?
1: So I had this amazing access, right? Because of the IPO work and the pricing committee work and all that. And I actually a consultant that worked for me convinced me, look, go do this. This is your project. You're fascinated by this. Go ask to do this. Write up this proposal. Here's what we'll do. And I was like, great. You really think I can do this? I mean, literally everybody in the world has imposter syndrome but I had it badly right I just even though I was doing cool stuff you don't have that perspective that outside perspective you're still living in your own head we'll get to that when we talk about decision making later but I realized okay well this is interesting what could they do they could say no I could get fired I guess I would go find another job What could what could what's the worst that could happen kind of catastrophizing right and I proposed to my boss's boss's boss that we needed to address this we need to get ahead of it we won't needed to have a leadership that's in this area, and the people who are working on the mobile technology, we knew that. It- It existed and it was possible, but they weren't looking at how to commercialize it, when to commercialize it and how our customers and our banks felt about it, as well as the partners we would need to be successful. So what I did was say, let's do a 360 review. Let's go out to all of these parties and let's take a scan of what's going on. I flew to, I did consumer research and partner visits all over the US and then in the UK and Singapore. Yes, it's still the setting was me flying around the world, like super, super pregnant. I, I don't know. My favorite movie is Fargo, maybe for that reason. I don't know if you guys remember that movie, but Frances McDormand was like famously pregnant without any comment during that whole movie. And that was that was me at MasterCard. And yeah, it was it was fascinating to be able to come back and report that all of our regional managers, all of the consumers, all of the banks everywhere but the US were crazy dying for this. They needed support. It was like a, a tsunami taking over their economy. And it was leapfrogging any kind of like <laughs> remnants of infrastructure that they had because not everyone had a deep card infrastructure. For example, in Africa, people were trading minutes on their phones.
0: Yeah, M- M-Pesa, I was going to say, I, I, exactly, I was going to say like, it's 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 a theme that's co- cropped up on this podcast several times, like whilst the rest of the world is trying to reskin uh, a crappy front end website, you know, for their, for their online banking. In Africa, they were leapfrogging straight over to M. Pace. So yeah, I, that completely resonates. So
1: we had to do something about it, and you know, it took me a year of get it, gathering all of that information and building all those relationships, and really getting people excited about it. I brought our entire team into New York to do kind of a mobile summit to say, "Listen, let's jointly put together a strategy with all this input." Like nobody could ignore us because I built that community within the company, which nobody did. Like that—that that is a very unique and rare skill, and if you can be the wanted to do it, you will, you know, really excel in your career. And so, when we presented it, it was nobody could shoot it down. It literally covered everything and identified all the risks, but also the risk of not acting. And we got that year, we got two million dollars. I know it's like tiny little tiny checks, right? <laughs> two million dollars to build out both the P2P infrastructure using our prepaid rails, as well as the first developer program, so that we could work with partners who could tap into. Network in new ways, and the tokenization infrastructure. So we called it PayPass as a service, and it basically allowed us to generate an alternative card number every time, with lots of you know encryption and, and algorithms in the back to change change out how your your number would be exposed when somebody tapped the phone. So yeah, I mean, since I, I have a beautiful picture of me tapping the phone in the Mastercard uh, you know company store <laughs> back in the day, and it's like a teeny little like brick phone, like a teeny little brick phone. But yeah, so I mean, I've been tapping my phone for over 20 years. And it's finally it's taken a global pandemic for it to actually be something that anybody else (laughs) wanted to do. (laughs) I wasn't as bullish on that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they 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 say there there is no idea that is wrong. There are only ideas that are too early, right? Maybe maybe that was a very early idea that, as you say, required the pandemic to kind of propel it. Well, look, I I think just moving on from Mastercard, I'd love to understand more about the Steamworks system, right? You've outlined in your book this this system, and your book is aside like a boss. Why was it so essential for you to write this, right? And what were you seeing in founders and others' decision making processes that were so flawed or or needed that kind of change of system to to, to to really elevate?
1: Well, humans are flawed, right? And sometimes we rely on other people to give us input to make decisions like I was doing at MasterCard, right? I had to ask a million people's permission before it was the right decision. And in a big corporation, there's sort of a, a pace and a quality to those decisions, maybe a structure, or, you know, stage gate process we used in our product development, where there's just a way of making decisions and a way of getting input. And when, when I came out to LA to work for startups, about 15 years ago, uh, you know, I, I got the bug and I just worked with founders almost exclusively for 15 years. And what I knew from being a founder myself, as well as just working with founders, is that they live in their own minds because there's no one safe to talk to. Everyone they talk to is a stakeholder. Their investor, not safe. There's something else. <laughs> there's an agenda there. Their employees or their consultants are waiting for a check. There's an agenda there. Their spouse, agenda. Right. That's the biggest VC that any founder has, right? So any anybody in their life that has ever given them money or supported their insane passion, which I think is wonderful. I love entrepreneurs, but I realized that it's super hard for them to get a straight answer. And so I started to work. I had opened a co-working space in my town and I was doing business coaching with group. And what I realized is that they wanted to talk to each other about the issues they were facing in common and they wanted to help each other like work through the kingdom. Of their thinking, but it was a mess, <laughs> you know. Without the structure, it was a total mess to let those conversations just like glide and you know just morph and and do whatever they were going to do. Everyone wanted a chance to talk and get their issues addressed, and so I developed this structure. It's you know two page system where we methodically make them go through like how they're what are the facts about this, what are they trying to achieve, how do they think and feel and believe about this, what are their alternative actions, and then we let The peers just have at it and jump in and say, Yeah, well, when I say something like that, I did this. And, you know, you might consider doing this. Is that fear real? How can we adjust that? Is there anything? What could we do to be 1% better tomorrow toward our goal? And so it was magical. We could get through in two hours, we could get through, you know, four of six people's issues in a really structured way. Everybody felt heard. Everybody felt like they contributed. And I was like, Wow, we really have something cool here. It was grounded in some really solid psychological principles and it just, it helped everybody get organized. So I realized, hmm, this is something really interesting. I tried it out in my own life. I began to negotiate with my landlord and my consulting clients and my husband better. It just helped me be more structured. And and you talked about chaos. I think a lot of us who are entrepreneurs, we love to live in the, the chaos of what's possible. But to turn that into growth, you need to make high quality quality decisions on a consistent basis so that the results of those those decisions can compound, just like the stock market, right? So if you made, you know, the five to ten percent improvement decision once a month, you would be you know, you'd be absolutely blowing away your business results. But nobody thinks that systematically.
0: No, and and yeah, the 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 one I always try and give as an example is 1% a day improvement leads to 38x over a year. Like, I mean, that is absolutely astounding, right? So if you can compound your efforts by just an improvement of 1% a day, you can, you can have a 30, almost 40 fold improvement in your, in your life. So I mean, the book has developed into much more than just the book, as you just mentioned, right? You've got the offline community, but you've also got a burgeoning online community and an educational experience. Where do, you, where do you see that going? I'm like, is that something that you are kind of providing to founders as a kind of your legacy to the world? Or is that something, <laughs> do you see that growing into something more than that?
1: I would love to grow it. But right now, I'm really focused on my venture firm as a side project. I'm a student right now. I love learning. I can't help it. So I've gone back to school to UCLA to get my executive MBA. And I've tasked a small group of our uh, my, my uh, fellow students to work on a potential software project around this. But we'll see where it goes. Right now, it's a work in progress.
0: Amazing. Some of the best things are always perennially <laughs> works in progress. Yeah. So so let's talk about steam work in that case, right? So you have a thesis around connected solutions in health, wealth and climate. How do you define a connected solution and why is it so fundamental to the firm's thesis?
1: Well, we talked a lot about progress due to that from Netscape on, right? And we talked about progress from using our phones. So I have this deep belief that a lot more is possible and we can all be connected, right? I really see so many things that, you know, are better because we have this cross cultural and cross functional ability to just stay involved with each other. And at MasterCard, I worked on also data, right? How do we use our transaction data to help improve marketing and operations? Operations. So I've been long obsessed with connection, meaning like, you know, internet connection, as well as data and what we could do to make the world better. In my early days in investment banking, I was a healthcare analyst and I came out of a, the home care industry when that was just first starting. And so health is really important to me. I think that we are particularly in the States, I will not speak for the rest of the world, but it is just a messed up, very difficult, inequitable, frustrating system. And and we really are very reactive to people's health instead of proactive. And I really believe that we can build out more predictive diagnostics and support for people, especially. I mean, there's just so many debilitating diseases that could be made better if we just could pay better attention to people and give them more use data in a, in a better way. And so that's the health part. The wealth part is fintech. I mean, I kind of am the, I don't know, I don't, I I don't want to over dramatize it, but I kind of feel like the godmother of fintech in a lot of ways, just based on the experience I just shared with you. And so even the last 15 years, I've probably worked for half a dozen fintech companies. And so I really kept, you know, in touch with what's going on here. And I believe a lot more innovation can happen. I think everybody deserves access to be able to manage their money in more fluid ways than they do right now. So that's wealth. And then the climate. So in the last few years, I've really become interested in this subject and worked with a few companies as well as became an angel investor and a few companies that have to do with the climate. And I think that we're in deep trouble and connected solutions can really help, right? So how can we be more attuned to what's going on in our earth? How can we build solutions? to help us make measurable change. How can we adjust for waste in the and you know, the things that we do? I mean, for example, think about a commercial building that is not occupied half of the time. Why are all the rooms being heated and air conditioned all the time? That's causing tremendous emissions. Let's cut that. I mean, there's just so many little things. Yesterday I was talking to somebody about, you know, wood waste and how that could be turned into natural gas. Like what? <laughs> Who knew that any of this was possible? But nobody, you know, how can we get these amazing these amazing inventions into the world. Like they need some help at that pilot stage so that they can get to commercialization. And the the cool thing about my experience, my partner's experience, is we have amazing connections all over the world that we can walk these companies into and say, here's the pilot. What do you need out of this? Let's figure it out. This team is brilliant. These are the scrappiest, most intelligent team, most intelligent team teams and humans on earth. They can figure it out. They just need some support and funding. So let's get connected. Let's go. Right. And so it's just really nice to be able to make all of my career make sense and get some really cool things done in the world.
0: Yeah, I was going to say it just ties everything together. And there's a couple of things there that I think are really awesome. So firstly, I'm going to have to re-record the intro and just have it as Tanya Mulry, godmother of fintech. Uh, that that sounds like a really, really, <laughs> a really appropriate kind of stuff. But no, I mean, joking aside, that the other thing you know we've talked about a lot on this podcast with with a couple of the guests we've had pri- previously is this notion of healthcare versus sick care. And at uh, the you know uh, very often, I think in the UK we have a very similar attitude, although the, the 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 way we pay and the way we we think about you know healthcare as as being available to all versus in the US where obviously you have a you have a much more kind of maybe capitalistic system around healthcare. The fundamental problem with both systems seems to be that there is a trend towards sick care, i.e., we wait until someone gets sick before we look after them versus healthcare, which is obviously where you're proactively looking at changing, uh, you know, changing someone's outcomes for the better, such that they don't ever get to a place where they're sick. I, I think obviously climate change is something that, well, I, I don't know how divided it is in the US. Well, I, I do know how divided it is in the US, but certainly for a lot of the people that I, I, I talk to, it's, it's the most important topic on the agenda and, and one that needs to be attacked from lots of different angles. To your point, there are, there are large large scale solutions to to certain things but there are also you know as you said very small things that one can do like having those air conditioners turned off during the day if they're not being used having the lighting system on a you know on a switch that you know that automatically turns off if there's no one around and so on and so forth for for founders that are considering steamworks as a partner what what is most important to you like is it the team is it the tech is it traction or is it something else altogether how how do you evaluate your investment
1: So maybe I'm biased, but I love an experienced team. Like, give me somebody who has done something really remarkable in their previous work and they understand the problem that they're trying to solve in a lot of detail. It could be an engineer. It could be you know, a really interesting business person, salesperson, product person that gives me somebody who really knows their problem really well and has demonstrated that they've attracted a world-class team because that's it, right? If you need to pivot from there, at least you have the talent, right? And pivoting is totally normal as, as many of us know after many years of working with startups but it's really cool when they've actually developed out their product we've been really lucky we've made three investments so far we're a new funds that we've been actively investing already and we're about to announce those investments but we found some incredible entrepreneurs who just know their stuff they can't be bothered with you know the traditional routes of fundraising we are lucky enough to find them early and now we're able to introduce them to some really interesting funds but you know they're about out to you know, they've created something that's super substantial, well engineered, just super well thought through, and they need the funding to take it to the next level, right? And so that's where we, I think, we have a really good sweet spot. We can help them tell their story better. We can introduce them to the right partners to help them with business development, growth, and we can walk them into maybe creative forms of capital, VC, and alternative funding sources that will really help them get their inventions out into the world and so we're, we're just super passionate about making sure we can surround them with the right resources find them talent get them get them what they need to to achieve their next milestones and be successful
0: it's incredible to me that the more conversations i have it just all boils down to one thing it's the team the team the team the team like i don't think i've spoken to a single investor yet who has said anything other than you know first off the bat is it a great team or is it a great founder who can attract a great team because ultimately you are backing execution right rather than necessarily the idea because ultimately as (laughs) as we said earlier kind of ideas come ten a penny but the execution is is really critical and and i guess i mean you just Described there exactly why a founder should choose Steamworks, right? Which is that, that you have this international kind of outlook, that you have the skills and the tools and the experience to help them grow and bring the talent around them. So- uh, I think to kind of round things off this podcast was born out of a natural curiosity around taking risks and and being entrepreneurial. What do you think are the traits that are essential nowadays to be a successful entrepreneur because given the rich history that you've had and you know you're an entrepreneur within a large organization but it was entrepreneurial nonetheless. nonetheless what has changed and what do you need to what, what are the foundational sort of traits an entrepreneur needs to have these days?
1: An entrepreneur that really impresses me has systems thinking and that means they see the big picture, but then they can dive, in, they can drill into the details and really think about how systems work. I'm not an engineer, but I've ran a lot of systems projects and I realized how much is necessary. I mean, just three day data model meetings like come on like once you have been in, you know involved in the trenches like that you understand how complex a really successful system is and so if the entrepreneur doesn't think like that it becomes really difficult for them to be successful so i really love a systems thinker i was involved in a group that was all about the the thinking patterns that were recommended by dr deming and he was like a an early manufacturing consultant you know famous for helping with their quality management. And I think that that layer, that type of thinking just permeates all successful companies. You just can't have success without thinking about the, creating the whole system. It's not just the product, you know, you can create a software product and you can launch it, but you actually have to build a business around it, which means you have to think about how you're going to sell it, how you're going to market it, how you're going to price it, how you're going to support it, what are your, you know, what are all the other things? So that's the system. That's what I mean by the system. Not so much just the, the one thing that people see from the outside.
0: I think as we move forward in time, more and more teams are kind of embracing that very scientific, very systems orientated way of, of looking at problems and solving for the whole rather than, well, solving for a part, but understanding the whole, right? And in understanding the whole, they have better insight into how solving just a small part of that will have a cascade effect throughout the the systems and, and i mean i come from a manufacturing background myself and you have you have you have to think in in systems right like you can't think in standalone kind of products or standalone kind of elements you have to think about how something flows through the entire the intru- entire organization tanya it's been absolutely incredible speaking to you today thank you so much for your time for our listeners where can they uh, find you are, are you online are you on twitter are You Are on L- linkedin where's the best place for them to look for you
1: Oh, sure. Yes, I'm at Tanya Mulry on Twitter. I am I think it's saying Tatiana Mulry is the link on LinkedIn. And, you know, steamwork.bc, especially if you have a wonderful, you know, company to pitch at the seed stage in health, wealth or the climate, we would love to hear from you. So please go to steamwork.bc slash connect. And by that way, that would be great. But love to hear from any of your listeners. If anybody's listening to this, kind of engaging conversation on the podcast and I hope that they're building something special and I'd love to meet them amazing
0: thank you so much Tanya
1: you're welcome thank you
0: thanks for listening to nothing ventured an emerge one production follow us on social and at nothingventured.tech to make sure you never miss another episode if you enjoyed this conversation you can support us by giving us five stars on apple spotify wherever you listen to your podcast we'd love to hear from our listeners to understand the topics and guests that they'd like to hear about and from most Drop us a message via the links in the show notes and thanks again for your support.